What do you want? I want to ask you some questions. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Real Original. Today we're going to be discussing the excellent sequel to Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049. My name's Dave. I am Hannah. And I am Ricardo. And I love this movie. I unabashedly love it. I think it's the movie that I've seen most in movie theaters. And I haven't watched it too much at home, but obviously I did for this time. And this movie still has a lot to give to me. I I can't get enough of it. What did you think? I had a very difficult time with this movie. (laughs) And I found it to be... I, I thought it was fairly problematic. Um, I honestly had a really hard time watching it. And if I had been watching it by myself, I probably would have quit after about 20 minutes. So mm-hmm. thank you, Dave, for letting me for letting me crash your movie experience so that I could <laughs> I could watch it. Yeah, of course, I got a nice sneak peek of what Hannah thought of it the day of, but we didn't talk about it too much. Ricardo, what were your takeaways? What did you like think about the movie? Yeah. So uh, honestly, I think uh, my opinion would definitely change if I watched A, the original Blade Runner more than once and B, this movie more than once. But my initial takeaway is just, meh, it's there. It's not a bad movie. And (laughs) I, I definitely, there were some things about this movie that I liked more than the original. Primarily that, you know, Blade Runners were supposed to be these badass characters. And well, hey, we got some badass characters. But other than that, I, I found the story a little bit on the weak side, kind of a little bit difficult to follow. I don't know why the hell Batista's in this f***ing movie. He, I, I, Isn't everything sci-fi related now? I know. Like he, When I saw him, I was like, oh, sweet. This is going to be awesome. He's going to be here throughout the movie. No way they're going to get some star like him and not use him. And no, you know, spoilers here, but he, uh, he he's dead within the first 20 minutes. And yeah, I mean, I'll need to watch it again but for me right now this movie is just like eh okay i could have fallen asleep but i'm just tired today so then maybe that's maybe that's it (laughs) (laughs) well dave do you want to give us a little bit of a of a background before we get too far in because there's a lot of plot yes there's there's a lot of plot in this one happy to do that before we do let's i want to ask ricardo if there's any audience members listening to this podcast, should they go watch the movie before hearing the spoilers? Or do you think they should skip it? Absolutely watch the movie before listening to this because uh, although like I'm not the biggest fan of this movie, I, I still wouldn't say it's a bad movie. And it's definitely enjoyable. And some of you are definitely going to love it. So if you if you listen to this without watching it, you're going to spoil pretty pretty uh, nice little twist at the end. So, yeah. And I would ask you, Hannah, but I think we already know your answer. <laughs> I just, yeah, I guess I just wouldn't advise watching the movie. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of where I'm at. But yeah, with me being as impartial as I can be <laughs> while loving the movie, I would say watch it before hearing spoilers, because if, if you click with this movie, you're probably going to click hard and you, you, you probably know you're going to like it within the first 20 minutes, just like Hannah. So if you hate it, you can turn it off and come back to the podcast. But anyway, a rundown of the plot. It's kind of hard to do a very quick rundown of this movie because there's a lot in it. 
it is a very long movie that is basically all plot centric. It is all mm-hmm. driving the plot forward. There's like no side missions or side stories in this at all. But ultimately, early in the movie, they discover that replicants may have had a baby. And that's huge in the world of Blade Runner. Replicants can't reproduce by themselves. They can only be made by humans. They don't have the ability to reproduce or or do anything quite like that. So a Blade Runner is sent to investigate the possibility. All the meanwhile, a big corporation is investigating the possibility for their own profit. A lot of things come together. (laughs) There's a lot of fighting, a lot of blood, a lot of female nudity. Yes, there was. (laughs) <laughs> a lot of beautiful cinematography and <laughs> ultimately our main character Kay played by Ryan Gosling he thinks he might be the child for a very long time in the movie and he's trying to figure that out while also honoring the, the wishes of his handler <laughs> is there more that I should say at this point I, I feel like I think you covered the I feel like I might as well just spoil it all just spoil it all go Let's for it, it. So ultimately, in the end, Kay, the main character, he finds out that he is not the child, but he does reunite the father, Robert Deckard, played by Harrison Ford. He reunites Deckard with the child, who is a daughter, who is basically in charge of creating memories to implant into replicants. And that's why Kay was so confused and thought that he was ultimately the replicant child, because he had memories that were from the replicant child. And that's yeah. it. That's the movie. I've been talking for 37 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. And, you know, that twist at the end, I mean, you kind of see it coming if you pick up on the little hints. Oh, you totally see it coming. But it's still, like, for me, I, I think the biggest part for me is, like, I just don't get the point of it. Like, yeah, why not it just make it him? Like, I don't see it adding anything to the story at all to be like, oh, hey, hey. It's not him. It's this other character who designs replicant memories. Ah, I didn't get the, I didn't get the part where they're like, there's the two, there's the two records, one for a boy and one for a girl that are identical. I didn't, I never understood like why they needed to do that. Like what that did for the daughter. Stop. Put a 4847 and 2181 side by side. They're identical. Dave, I mean, do you, like, I I just didn't get that at all. I thought that was kind of a waste of a red herring. Yeah. It made me think that there were going to be some, like, twins or something. And, like, maybe the twist was, oh, he's actually her twin or some shit. And I don't know. I didn't get the point of that. Maybe it was just to try and throw people off. Because, like, another little bit of a spoiler is uh, the main character from the first one, Deckard, comes back as he is the father of the child. Um, and he brings up how he's just, you know, in charge of changing all the data and misinformation, but I don't, I just don't see how this would have helped. Yeah. Same. Other than like just red herrings, but kind of, kind of wasted red herrings. I mean, it's like a clue though, because it's just like, if there was no match or if there was no, if nobody ever decided to look and do what Ryan Gosling did in this, uh, that moment, look at two basically, you know, replicant DNAs and compare them, then wouldn't that have been better to just not have a duplicate in the first place? 
Well, the thing is, and how I perceive this scene, <laughs> and I'm stretching here, but I, I don't think this was a replicant database. This was a database of human beings. And they needed to find a way to get the replicant child into this database of human beings. But if they would have used her real replicant DNA, it would have flagged her as not being human. So I think they cloned the boy. But then this is really stretching. I think the database may have noticed the duplicate or been set up in terms of finding things like that. So they probably switched something like the gender Mm -hmm. So maybe they cloned. I, I don't know. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I can. Yeah. So I think it was just database manipulation to put a replicant into the human pool and make it look like they had human DNA if they were ever like scanned or investigated. Yeah, I can see okay. that. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm willing to accept that. That that's that's tolerably satisfying. My problem is that there's nothing in the movie to hint at that, or like there's no mention of cloning or anything like that. Other than, you know, obviously we're creating replicants. So, yeah, you could fit, put the pieces together, but I say just explain it the right way the first time. Well, I think the other thing that ties into it is in the database, it says that they have Swedish chef syndrome or Bjorgsons or Swarfsons. I forget the name, Swedish but chefs. I think that was a disease <laughs> that was that she doesn't really have. Mm but they put into the database for her to have so that she had justification to be isolated. That makes sense. Hmm. That's why she's seen in the, in the star Trek holodeck in the movie (laughs) and she doesn't interact with people. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that too. That makes sense. I like that explanation a little bit better than at least what I was thinking of was. Yeah. That's it's more, it's more feasible. I just, yeah, I think I'm with Ricardo on that one. I wish that it would have been, I would never have thought of that. Like that wasn't clear based on the way that they played it in the movie without Dave mm-hmm. having watched this multiple times and being able to say, you know, this is probably what like I, I wouldn't have gotten that. And the interesting thing that I would add to it, I don't want to talk about this scene for the for the whole episode. <laughs> I probably could though, is that the database isn't what that scene is about. It feels that way and it looks that way because that's what our characters are doing. But that scene, as somebody who's seen this movie many times now, that scene is all about Joy and their interaction. And she's kind of egging him on that he might be the chosen one. This is where the the horse, the wooden horse is introduced with the numbers on the bottom. Mm-hmm. So I think the real red herring here is the conversation they're having while he's going through the database. Does that make any sense? Does that... Does, does that seem something that could be real? It, it does. And, and I, I got that part out of the scene. It just, the, the fact that I didn't understand the significance of the database, like, because that, that was like, that just felt so like, okay, I don't get this. That kind of threw the, the scene for me. So that's what stuck. Um, so I think that's kind of a failing of that scene and how they, how they played it is that, the fact that there's this part that is really like kind of confusing and doesn't seem to really advance the plot kind of overshadows the part that they're actually trying to use to advance the plot. Yeah. I think that's a very well, (laughs) a very good and accurate way of putting that. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfectly fair. Yeah. And I mean, my biggest thing uh, against the movie is I just don't get the point of 
you know, obviously Kay or Joe, whatever you want to call him, is, you know, he has the child's memories plant, implanted in him. But I just don't understand why. Because my thought would be if you were going to do that, you would want the people trying to kill the child to go after Joe thinking he's the child. But that never happens. The only person who's ever, like, convinced that he's, he's the child is Joe, which it doesn't really accomplish anything. So that's where I, the movie, that's the biggest miss for me. And maybe, you know, there's a reason for that, that I, I just didn't catch, but yeah, other than that, the movie, I think does a very good job of carrying on the legacy of the first one, um, in spirit, but it isn't like anywhere near as hard hitting or emotional as the first one. I, I was watching this the entire time and I never would say I was super, super, super entertained. And I never once was just like feeling any strong emotional jabs or anything. And that's definitely something I can say happened for the first one. Uh, so that's where the, another disappointment for this movie came for me. I cried twice while watching this. Oh my God. <laughs> really? I did. I was trying to quietly sob over on my side of the couch. <laughs> really? <laughs> what scenes? Yeah. So actually, I, I really hate to do this, but we're going to go back to that scene with the database. That was the first scene that I cried Aww. in because the interaction between him and Joy is heartbreaking when you know what happens later in the movie. Do you think, though, the thing I always wondered because, um, or the, I don't know, something that stuck out to me about Joy is um, then, you know, when he's um, towards the end and there's the, like, giant prostitute hologram hologram. yeah he looks up and sees that it says joy and it says like everything you want to hear and like that was something i thought was kind of i thought that raised an interesting question like in telling him that he's special is joy just saying all the things that he wants to hear and she calls him joe and like i don't know it just well so does that projection the projection calls him like you look like a lonely Joe or some shit. Yeah, like, and it kind of it kind of made me think mm-hmm. of male customers are often called Johns. Mm, I didn't catch that. That was kind of the vibe I got, like that it's just kind of a generic, you know. That is is was like what was their connection really, and was it just Joy telling him what he wanted to hear because that's what she's programmed to do was kind of my... But that also ties right back into the conversation about replicants. What makes a life form? What is a replicant's purpose? You know, if Joy can be free thinking and fall in love and do all these things, what makes her different from a replicant? Was she though? I mean, that's the question. See, and that's the thing is like, if she's using the name Joe, just like the big old advertisement, and at the end of the movie, we hear, oh, you would imagine that you were the child. We all wish that we were the child. So it that's saying the replicants kind of have this desire to be special. So they all probably would have wanted to hear that. So is that, I think, I feel like it was pretty obvious, at least in my opinion, that she was just saying what he wanted to hear. Um, and then another thing that I found really interesting and kind of disappointing about this movie is their relationship in general uh, just feels like a rehashing of the movie Her, if you've ever watched that from 2013 with Joaquin Phoenix. Um, mm. He falls in love with this uh, operating system. And I love that movie because that, that was the first time I'd ever seen that dynamic of a person falling in love with a program. But even like where 
Joy gets uh, a prostitute basically to take her place so she can have physical intimacy. They do that exact same thing, almost like, almost exactly in the movie Her. So that was a little bit of a disappointment for me. And that's where I think that prevented me from being able to emotionally invest in that. And then throughout the entire time, they consistently refer to her as a product. And for me, it was just that combined with all the other things that she was doing that wasn't really that unique, like using the name uh, Joe, um, telling him that he was the uh, person and just encouraging basically everything he wanted to do. That's where it really made me think that she's not really free from her programming. Now, granted, she does say, I love you at the end when she's, you know, her little bit is smashed. But again, probably what he wanted to hear. So, yeah. It's hard to tell. Yeah, I took a very similar takeaway from that, Ricardo. That's, yeah, you articulated that very nicely. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I find it to be more complex and, and more interesting, but maybe I'm looking for it as somebody who watches a lot of sci-fi. Maybe Joy's just telling you what you want to hear, Dave. <laughs> Right, but don't we all do that to some extent? Like, when, when my boss calls me in for a meeting, I'm telling them what they want to hear to some extent. Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> so, so being engineered and and being told or programmed to tell people what they want to hear doesn't necessarily prohibit something from being a life form. Yeah, I well, mean, I would agree with that, but the thing is, is, like, this movie's trying to say a very similar message uh, to what the first one did. And I just don't think they implemented that to the best that they could have. Because when I was watching the first one, I, I honestly like felt so much for replicants just trying and fighting for their humanity. Uh, it was a struggle. And you saw that throughout that entire movie. Um, and even with Decker, like once, uh, you know, cause the movie never quite quote unquote states he's a replicant i i believe he is but he's looking for his that his humanity and he's looking for love throughout that entire movie and i just didn't feel that from k and even though you see it happening i just don't think um i I can't say why i didn't but i just didn't emotionally connect to the movie this one like i did the second or the first yeah perfectly fair but it is a gorgeous movie and well done Oh, yeah. This movie was shot by Roger Deakins, who Sterling and I have talked about quite a bit because he's he's kind of internationally famous for his cinematography skills. He also did, I believe, Skyfall and whatever that World War One movie was that was titled after a year. I think it was 1918, maybe. I think 1917. So he's very good behind a camera. Was it 1917? I think it was. I don't remember. My history. No <laughs> okay, I believe you. To be. Yeah, it is nineteen seventeen. I didn't care for the movie, so. That was just my. <laughs> that was just my my schooling. So. Oh. And on the subject of Deckard being a replicant, I feel like twenty forty nine reinforces the fact that it doesn't matter if he's a replicant. Yeah. He doesn't care. He is just a life form trying to get by, just like the rest of us. And while it's fun to discuss the question and the the concept of him being a replicant, it ultimately doesn't really impact the story that much. I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, and I mean, 
If he is human, then maybe the key that Wallace wasn't able to replicate to get replicants to procreate is you need a human, not and not just two replicants. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't even think about that. And then that raises wow that raises even more questions because then if if that's all compatible and you've got that crossover, you know, then that that just raises even more questions for for their um especially the um whatever the the handlers like you know we have to keep everything separate you know this is you know no one can be allowed to know that would kind of reinforce her her fears about that i guess she was an odd character for me she's always been an odd character in this movie what was her name because she um i don't even remember her job title was it madam that's that's all that Kay ever called her. Yeah, I don't I don't remember what her actual name was. I'm pulling up the credits now. Uh, Lieutenant Joshi. Huh. Hmm. I don't remember ever hearing that name. I feel like she spouted a lot of like vaguely racist rhetoric about separation and, and keeping things as they are by suppressing information. But she never really like turned into a a bad guy. She, she, she kind of was loyal to Kay all at the same time. She was in his apartment trying to get in his bed. She lost her life because she tried to hide his location. It, it's all very confusing to me. I, I don't get her part of the story. Yeah, she was really confusing um, because, like, at, at, at the very beginning, she seems very, very much like, okay, we just need to do our jobs, kill all these replicants, all this other stuff. And when Kay comes back from you know, visiting the actual child and comes away thinking he is the child. She clearly understands that, Oh shit, this guy thinks he's the child, or at least he is the child. At least. And I don't know. It's just, it's a 180 from what we saw her presented as in the first place. And considering her role in this entire society, it doesn't make sense what she does afterward. Um, so she's trying to find and kill the child, like literally what she wants. And she's not hinting at anything that she, to save this child. And then she thinks or believes that Kay is the child, or maybe she just likes Kay and protects him. I don't know. I just don't. Yeah, I agree. I don't get her role in it. And honestly, like that kind of summarizes the movie for me is like a lot of it is just, I, first of all, I think it's way too long. Too many things happened and I just got bored and lost and if I watch it again, I'm sure that I'd probably make a lot more sense of the movie and probably enjoy it again. But on first watch, I come away just, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not that impressed? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, and you're, you're not alone in thinking that this movie was too long. Famously, Ridley Scott had the exact same concern. Ridley Scott, who directed the first Blade Runner and produced this one. So... You're very much not alone. So he thought it was too long? And Ridley Scott is notorious for liking long movies. Weird. So even he thought it was too long or was concerned that it was too long. Yeah, that's that was his first response when he was asked about how much money this movie lost. Because this movie lost a lot of money. It's it's still trying to make back its cost. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, so from what I could tell, this movie cost around $305 million to make. 
Now, that's always going to be a big asterisk and estimate because not all costs of movie production are included in estimates like that. But the money it brought in at the box office is a lot more concrete. It brought in $259 million worldwide. So it's it's still trying to catch up and break even with DVD and Blu-ray sales. Well, and I, yeah. you know, you can kind of see where, um, I mean, they it's pretty star-studded. And the, I mean, just the, the filming and, and each, like each shot, like we talked in the last one about, you know, every, every shot a picture, um, I think, or how, how did you say it, Dave? Every frame of painting? Every frame of painting. Yeah, I was uh, close, kind of close. (laughs) And this one, this one did follow that up. I mean, just the, you know, your sweeping shots of like society, to like your really close kind of intimate like close-ups on on characters you know within within a scene i mean everything was really like you could tell it was very deliberate very thought out just just in every in every single frame and part of that deliberate slow pace i I feel like is why this movie bombed at the box office this is not really a movie that anybody goes and accidentally sees. The only people that saw Blade Runner 2049 in the movie theater were people that knew of the original and sought this out. Yeah. And that's another thing is like Blade Runner, yes, definitely considered a classic, a masterpiece in film cinema, but it's not like everybody was dying for a, a, a sequel 35 years later. So Yeah, nobody I, thought this was going to happen. No, so... You know, I'm sure the people who are fans of Blade Runner love that it did, but I hadn't. I had heard of Blade Runner um, when the, and this movie when it was coming out, but I had no desire to see it because I hadn't watched the original. And you know, I can tell you that tons of people my age definitely had that same, you know, statement because fuck, I was born in '93. The, the first one was made in '81, '82, something like that. So yeah, I mean, unless you had uh, tried to go out and see, see this movie, they're already cutting out a huge demographic of the population by making it. But it's not a bad movie, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I think a lot of people were worried that they didn't see the first 2048 movies. <laughs> ah. You know, and that was one other thing that kind of um, I thought was kind of hard was that there there is like a lot of stuff. I mean, they're talking about the crash, you know, the the blackout. Yeah. And there's a lot of really big events that have clearly happened between the original Blade Runner and 2049. And it feels kind of like they they try to cram that entire huge, really significant to the context backstory in. And that, I think, also contributed <laughs> to the length, number one, and also made it just a bit like a bit bulky and unwieldy plot wise, um, just in trying to cram so much backstory well, like, here's the thing. I still don't know what the blackout f***ing was. Like, show me what it was. It takes five minutes. Don't just constantly drop it and try and explain it to me. Okay, I have something funny to add to this that Uh-oh. you guys are going to get a chuckle out of. So you're 100% correct that they're trying to cram a lot of backstory into the movie, and, and they just kind of glaze over it. The reason it feels glazed over is because there were three short films that came out on YouTube before 2049 released what? you had to watch homework before watching the movie to fully understand no. it. 
No, 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 no. That's asking too much. Now, I am going to definitely recommend one because it is actually in an anime style. And that's the one about the blackout. It's called Blade Runner Blackout 2022. And it's it's a fantastic watch. That was actually the... Okay, okay. Sorry, I'm trying to do math in my head. And I was going to be like, that's like seven years. And then I realized that that's like actually not how math works. Anyway. <laughs> no, I'm Sorry. looking this up. I was expecting, you know, maybe five minute videos. No, this is like a 15 minute like... Yeah. Episode, basically. Yeah, like to, to watch these, it's like a total of 45 minutes to watch all three. Holy and crap. the other two are filmed... Like the other one has more Batista. I think he's kind of the star of one of the shorts. And then the other one has uh, a Jared Leto's character as the star. And that one's really boring. It's just him talking to somebody and showing off a replicant or something. But yeah. Who's psychotic? This, this movie has homework. <laughs> well, there you go. And if a movie has homework, like, I no. No, that's not what I'm doing. Watching a movie for <laughs> that takes it kind of out of the realm of entertainment. Yeah, it's not really entertainment. Yeah, if it's yeah, and, and it all ties back to why did they make this movie? What did they think was going to happen to make a, a very very expensive sequel to an unsuccessful movie to make it nearly three hours long and to give people homework before watching it? I don't think the people that go to the movie theater three or four times a year to see the latest transformer and um avengers marvel movie yeah. yeah the latest avengers movie those people aren't gonna do this kind of like homework to figure out what's going on in this movie and that's not insulting them those those people are, are lovely moviegoers but like <laughs> this movie should have cost like 90 million dollars at the highest it should not yeah. have cost 300 million dollars yeah it, it honestly it feels like it- it's the, the same uh let me say that again pitching this movie would basically like the sequel to blade runner to me sounds like pitching a sequel to the big lebowski like you just don't need it the first one is great yeah it was a flop when it came out but it's a cult classic but if there was a big lebowski too there's not going to be a huge flood of people going to see it like it you'll get the fans but of the original but you're not going to get that crowd going for a 300 million dollar budget <laughs> maybe 50 but yeah not that. yeah it's as stupid as making a sequel to mary poppins oh wait <laughs> that flopped things you can't just you just can't follow up yeah yeah and i think they're um they're remaking willy wonka again again <laughs> or they're doing a prequel like oh god like just quit messing with Willy Wonka. We have the movie. We don't need anything else. Although I will say Tom and Jerry go to Willy Wonka's is is a perfectly fine movie. Anyway. That's a thing. It is a thing. Yeah, it's, it's a crossover movie. That's It's very nonsensical, but it's also quite fun. Interesting. So this movie was part of Harrison Ford's weird farewell tour. I feel like I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> it feels like he's wrapping up a lot of his classical characters as if he was in the process of, of like dying of cancer or if he was diagnosed with something really gross and he's trying to say goodbye to all of his fans, but he's, he's not been diagnosed with anything gross. He's not dying to my knowledge. Like, of course he's, he's getting up there in age, but he wanted to wrap up his Blade Runner character, his star Wars character, Indiana Jones. Like he, 
is making the effort to close out his storylines and it, it all feels weird. It feels like a goodbye tour for a band. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, maybe he just doesn't want to act anymore. Maybe he's retiring and just be like, cause I didn't yeah. he, I know he famously did not want to really come back at in the star Wars in star Wars as Han Solo. So I don't know, maybe. No, I honestly don't know that much Harrison Ford outside of, and I, and, you know, I haven't followed up with any of the newer stuff that's come out. So that's interesting because I never even, I never even thought about that. I just hope he makes Air Force too. I don't know. I'm sorry. I haven't, I'm sorry. I haven't seen that. Man, another joke that didn't land. <laughs> So he was in a movie called Air Force One is is the joke. Okay. Oh. See, I didn't know uh, that. The car combat in Blade Runner 2049, <laughs> I thought was really, really sweet. That was a clear improvement over the original movie for me. The guns, the turrets, the the drone, all everything about the hover cars in this movie was just so much better. Agreed. And I mean, you kind of should expect that if it's being made 35 years later. Um, and they really do. I, I think they could have done a little bit more as far as utilizing that more because you kind of don't get it until the very end. But that end scene where Kay comes and starts shooting the shit out of everybody, that was dope. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I always get a lot of anxiety watching that. And, man, you, you really can't imagine the feeling of seeing that on a big screen and just hearing the waves crash around you on the, the movie theater tuned systems, it is anxiety inducing. It's insane. And that's actually something that I wanted to bring up on a larger scale is that the audio in this movie was made for movie theaters. Mm. It is. Yeah. It's a very loud movie with, with lots of like undertones that make you unsettled and kind of uncomfortable. And in the movie theater, this movie passed like it was a 45-minute clip. But at home, it definitely drags out a little bit more. Hopefully, if I ever move out, I'll be able to afford surround sound at one point and kind of simulate that movie theater experience. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree with that because we had to keep... I mean, you went from like 12 at one point during one of the action scenes to like... It had to go up to like... The volume had to go up to like 30 or 35 for the dialogue. Yeah. And so just like that very wide range um in in sound definitely I can see how that would be vastly improved by the surround sound theater experience. Oh, so good. Yeah. And um now that you say that, that makes me really want to watch that last final fight scene because that scene was awesome. It was great. Very suspenseful. You didn't really know what was going to happen. And I honestly, I liked the movie's ending kind of, you know, Kay, I think kind of just accepting his death and Harrison or Deckard meeting his child. It wasn't, you know, again, I still think that I don't, I don't see the reason for making the child a second person, but I like the way it ended with what they got. Did anyone else think um, the child with all of the memory issues, is that like, um, or memory placement i guess um did anyone else think a lot of the giver on that because that felt very like giver-esque to me and it was i'm not familiar with the story oh well it is same 
Oh, well, never mind. Um, it's a story, um, but it, that's that's kind of a um, so it's it's kind of a dystopian um, society, and um, there's one person who holds all of the memories, and then they pass them to the next person who will be holding the memories, like for the whole, like of of everything for everyone, um, and no one else has like any of these memories of like snow or, um, you know, a warm fire or or anything. Um, and, uh, you know, I did read that, but it was ages ago, and I don't retain yeah. things like you do. Well, um, I didn't... You've got that nearly photographic memory. I didn't like it very much, so maybe that's why it stuck. <laughs> um, I didn't I didn't enjoy it very much as a story. It was interesting kind of as a... Um, I, I felt the same way about The Giver that I feel about um, 1984. Um, like, interesting as kind of a cautionary foretelling but not i i didn't enjoy either of them like as literature like as i don't know if that makes sense but anyways that's that's kind of what the um the memories really made me made me think of and and if they wondering if they drew on that at all for for that does human life have value in the story of the giver that is a actually that's a fascinatingly interesting question and to some extent no and that's there's a whole thing at the end where the person who's supposed to become the next holding all of the next memories kidnaps a baby that if i remember correctly like had some kind of problem like wasn't settling or wasn't wasn't you know like meeting the standard in some way um, and kidnaps the baby and they run away. And um, because otherwise the baby would be killed essentially. And, okay. Um, or not essentially. I mean, that's, that's what would have happened. So yeah, that's an interesting parallel as well. I hadn't thought about that yet. Yeah. I can definitely see similarities then because their human life has no value in the Blade Runner universe. People just get discarded, both replicants and human beings just get discarded and, and, the story moves on from them as if they never existed. So interestingly enough, the character played by Jared Leto was originally cast to be David Bowie, but sadly we lost Bowie before filming started on the movie. But what a weird role to cast David Bowie in. Oh, I just kind of have a hard time seeing it. Yeah. What was the Jim Henson movie that he was in? I have no idea. The only one that's coming to mind immediately, I don't know if it was Jim Henson. What was Labyrinth? Yep. Yeah, it's Labyrinth. Uh, that's the one I'm thinking of. Jim Henson okay. made that. And it's so weird to think of him kind of jumping from Labyrinth to Blade Runner 2049 because Labyrinth is a very, it's a very carefree movie and Blade Runner is very stressful. So one of the things I realized while watching this movie, and I'm going to have to call myself out for being hypocritical here is Ryan Gosling and Michael Fassbender have very, very similar acting styles. They both play a lot of their roles straight-faced without any emotion. They, they don't really like... I don't know. They, they are both under-actors. But here's where my hypocrisy is. I love Ryan Gosling and don't care for Michael Fassbender. And I have no idea why. Maybe because of the snowman. I did have to sit through the snowman once, which was awful. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I've never seen any of that. <laughs> yeah, The Snowman was notoriously like the worst movie of its year. They didn't even shoot the full script. They only shot like 70% of it. 
So the, the movie doesn't make sense. There's just lots of things missing. And the whole premise is really, really silly. It's about a serial killer that builds a snowman outside of his victim's murder places. Mm-hmm. And they play the plot straight. They play it like he's supposed to be scary, and it just doesn't work. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, one of the things I like to do with movies is whenever they have a date tied to the movie, I like to try to put it in my calendar so that I can choose to watch the movie on that date. And I think I'm going to do that with Blade Runner for June 10th, because that's the date on the horse is June 10th of 2021. Nice. I like it. Okay. I think we're running out of steam here. Yeah. I just don't have anything else to say about the movie. <laughs> like I've said what I thought about the movie is like, it, it's a, it's a movie. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, next week on the show, we're going to be doing an episode on Nightcrawler, the Jake Gyllenhaal thriller. I've never seen it before, but it's been recommended to me by many people, so I'm excited to see what the movie's all about and discuss it. In terms of Blade Runner 2049, thanks for coming out, Ricardo. Thanks for coming out, Hannah. It's been a blast. Likewise, anytime. Thank you. Okay. And thanks for any audience that tuned in. Uh, Please give us a share on social media or a like. Uh, Always appreciated. Everybody stay safe and have a great day.